0: Micah chapter five, you know, it's a good sermon when you're preaching off of Micah. Not many preachers preach off of Micah, but I'm gonna preach off of Micah right now. It says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. At this time, the the nation of Israel was divided to the northern region, which was called Israel, and the southern region, which was called Judah, because they had this divided monarchy after the reign of Solomon. And so it says, among the clan of Judah, from you shall come forth me who is to be the ruler in Israel. This is a prophecy talking about the coming of Jesus, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient Days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she, who is in labor has given birth. The rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and the shepherd and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Somebody thank God that Jesus shepherds his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. He shall be their peace. Who needs peace this morning? Jesus wants to be your peace. Is that when the Assyrians come, when the enemies come into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. He's talking about raising up leadership. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at his entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrians... When he comes into our lands and treads within our borders, this ruler will come in and give us sanity. He will give us peace. He will give us security. But where did he come from? He came from, oh, little town of Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, because powerful things can be found in little things. If God is everywhere, then we should be able to find him anywhere. Let us pray today. Father, I ask you, Lord, to just open up our hearts, open up our minds, open up our ears. Help us be more aware of your presence. Help us be more aware of those small moments in between things that we could still find you, God. We could find you in the big, but it's a whole other level when we find you in the small. So teach us something today as we prepare our hearts for this Christmas season. In Jesus' name amen. Everybody in agreement, say, I'm here. I'm ready. Draw me closer. Make me better. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Ask the person next to you what they want for Christmas real quick. Real quick, just one gift. What do you want for Christmas? I want intangible things. I want, like, my son to show up on time. You know what I'm saying? Like, Can I get that? These intangible things. It's Christmas season. If God is everywhere, then we should be able to find him anywhere. Today, I'm going to be probably a little more teachy than preachy. I know I said this a couple weeks ago. Um, Can I get on a soapbox real quick? Like, that's what you do. What are you talking about? We are, we are, I just want to describe this because every time I get the opportunity, I'm going to teach in a second, but every time I get the opportunity, I want to teach you just about culture because I know that we have pews and we have the typical routine of worship, offering, message, prayer, those kind of things. But like, we are a both and church. When people ask you, are you more about evangelism, which means reaching people far from God, are you more about evangelism or are you more about discipleship? I say, "Uh, yes, both. We're both church. I don't know if you remember uh, in the 90s, Deion Sanders was in a commercial, uh, a Domino's commercial. Anybody remember this? And he was being interviewed with Jerry Jones. I know this is a bad Sunday to mention Jerry Jones. I'm sorry. Read the room, my wife says. And Jerry Jones says, do you want to do baseball or football? And Dion Sanders said, both. If you know anything about Deion Sanders, he played both, professional baseball and professional football. Then Jerry Jones asked him, do you want to play offense or defense? And Deion Sanders said, "Uh, both. And he played both sides of the ball in football. And then he says, do you want stuffed crust pizza or meat lover's pizza? And my man, glory to God, said both. We're both church. There there are times where I'm going to teach, and then there are times I'm going to be inspirational. There are times where I'm going to be exegetical, and then there are times I'm going to be topical. There are times I'm going to go line by line, and there are times I'm going to be bouncing around all over scripture. Because at the end of the day, we are commissioned to help each other grow in faith. And I've heard the statistic, and this is startling, that the average person, the average person has seven relational transitions in their lives, devastating relational transitions in their lives. A pastor encounters seven relational transitions a year. And especially in this modern day age, people just come and go very frequently when it comes to churches. And a lot of times a church is divided based off of preferences, right? They like certain types of teaching and they like certain types of preaching. And, 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 and what we do is we put our preferences before the principle of the kingdom of heaven and trust me, I want you to grow. So it's hard because like some of us were new to faith, right? Can we love the people that are new to faith here? Some of you are new to faith. So you need some milk, right? spiritual milk, and some of you, you've been around the block for a while. I'm not gonna call you old, but you know who you are, right? Some of you, you want meat, right? You want that filet mignon, come on, somebody. Does he know it means filet mignon? Yes, I know it means filet mignon, right? But I'm telling you, we're both. There's, in these sermons, you're gonna find milk and meat because uh, it, it bothers me when people are like, pastor, just preach the gospel. And you're right, I do preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that we serve a Jesus that lived a life I couldn't live, morally perfect. He lived a life I couldn't live and then died the death that I should have died because of my sins. And he reconciled me with with the Father through his death because he, he rose again on the third day. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He reconciled us with the Father so that now in him I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. And what the Holy Spirit does, he sanctifies me. The word sanctifies is a fancy church word that says he makes me better. All right? So when you say preach the gospel, that's the totality of the gospel. At the end of the day, when you're walking with Jesus, you want to be more like Jesus, you should get better. So these sermons aren't self-help sermons. They're self-leadership sermons so that you can look more like Jesus. You hear me? Because I don't want, I trust me, I've been to Bible college. I could do the teachy thing. But at the end of the day, here's my heart. I'm sorry for getting on the soapbox. Here's my heart. I don't want bobblehead Christians. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen a bobblehead? And what I mean by bobbleheads is like, I don't want us to have big heads that are nodding. And have hands and hearts that don't move. What I, what my desire is, is for our, our heads to grow larger in wisdom, our hearts to expand in love and our hands to move and do the will of the father here on earth. All right. And so I just want to set that culturally because like, I want everyone in this room to grow. Everyone could find something today. The Holy spirit will highlight something today that you need to activate in your life. I don't care where you are on the spectrum of faith. And we did, what we desire here to do is we desire to see the kingdom of God expand. Last thing I'll say on that, and then I'll actually start teaching. Because I just attacked the people who like the more cerebral people, and I'm sorry. I'm an equal opportunity defender, so let me attack the people who just want to be cool. We, we, we are also not relevant for the sake of being relevant either. I could care less about being cool I care less. I wanna be authentic, I don't wanna be cool, right? Because here's the deal, relevance does not guarantee reverence. What does that mean? That relevance, when I'm relatable, we're supposed to make the kingdom of God relatable, but all because like we could draw a crowd. Trust me, you could draw a crowd. I was just driving the other day with my son and Santa Claus was on top of, the, uh, uh, of a fire truck and it drew a crowd, right? It's easy to draw a crowd, but it doesn't mean you're making disciples of Jesus, okay? So, so we could play secular songs up here. We could draw a crowd. We could do stuff like that. I don't care about just being relevant for the sake of relevance because relevance does not guarantee reverence. It does not guarantee us walking away being in awe of who God is in our lives and to respect life. So that's one side of it. So we're not relevant. for. But so relevance does not guarantee reverence. But, watch this, irreverence does guarantee, irre, I'm sorry, irrelevance does guarantee irreverence. What I mean by that is that if, if we don't make the kingdom of God approachable, if we're just like, give me meat, give me meat, give me meat, right? RB Church, we have the meat. <laughs> if we just say, give me meat and don't care about explaining it to people. One of my favorite parts of the Bible is Acts 8 where Philip ran into this Ethiopian and the Ethiopian was reading the Bible. And and Philip asked him, do you know what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how will I know unless someone explains it to me? How will I know? So we could be irrelevant and you could feel holy, but I'm telling you right now, that is irreverent to the God who loved, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to win it. So let us be a church that, what are we? The answer is yes. We're both. Amen? Y'all good with that? All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox there. So to teach little Bethlehem, this unexpected arrival of our King Jesus being born in a cave, in a manger, in this obscure place called Bethlehem, helps me understand that there are times where we can find God in unexpected places. Not only can we find God in unexpected places, we could find gifts and promises from him in those unexpected places. So today I wanna talk about very quickly just some unexpected gifts that we could find in unexpected places. Here's the first one I want you to write down. The unexpected gifts in low places. We could find unexpected gifts in low places. So this is where I'm gonna get a little teachy, you ready? There was a lady by the name of Helena. If you know anything about history, in the fourth century, Helena had a son named Constantine. Constantine was the emperor of the Roman Empire at the time. Somehow, some way, Helena found Jesus. Come on, Ashley, get on the organ. Dun, 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 dun. She found Jesus. And she did what every good godly mom does. She made her son go to church. Clap your hands for the moms that make their kids go to church. They might not thank you now, but they'll thank you later. So she converted. She converted her son, who was the emperor of Rome, the Roman Empire. And she, her fervor led her to take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. So she went to Jerusalem, and then she visited Bethlehem because she wanted to see the place where Jesus was born. And I had the privilege of... Of being in this place. Uh, it was a few years ago, I forget what year I went to Israel, but I visited Israel and Palestine, and, uh, and I had the opportunity to go to Bethlehem. Our denomination has actually a college there in Bethlehem, and I had the opportunity to go there, and show this picture real quick, uh, the first one, uh, yep, that's my favorite spot over there. Not subway, schnitzel way, all right? So, you know, every trip requires food, because food's my love language. Here's another picture right here. Second one, this is a picture of my feet, and here's why. I had to prove to you that I was actually there. Thugs don't take selfies, so I don't have any pictures of myself there. What? What? No, I don't. Thugs don't take selfies. So this is the only proof I have. Those are my Chelsea boots. I was, this is where I was in Bethlehem. And so we had the opportunity to be in Bethlehem. I had to check it out. Turn to the next picture right here. And this was outside the college. But then this is the cool picture right here. Turn to the next one. So leave it right there. So Helena, she decided to start this church there, and it's called the Church of the Nativity, okay? It is the oldest operational church in the world, okay? And she commissioned the builders to build this main entrance. Everybody see that door? This main entrance, this is where everybody had to go through. You know what this door is called? It's called the door of humility. And the reason it's called the door of humility is because it's four feet tall, okay? So most of you in this room, in order to get into church, you would have to bow down before walking into church, okay? Now I know my short Puerto Ricans, you could just walk straight in, because we are God's chosen people, that's why. No, I'm kidding. But for the rest of us, (laughs) for the rest of us, I know I'm not that tall either. Shut up. All right. For the rest of us, we had to bow down to go through there. She did this because people would, people of prestige would literally come to church with their horses. So she wanted this door to be that short because people would have to dismount their horses, bow down and enter into the presence of God. She wanted them to choose humility before coming to church because she believed that this site, this church represented the humble king that was birthed in Bethlehem. Oh, little Bethlehem. To bow down. There's unexpected gifts in low places. When we choose humility, when we choose to bow down. Honestly, I think that's something that's forgotten in America. We don't bow down. And what Jesus taught is this inverted kingdom. The way up is actually down. He says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. All right. So you could try to climb up. It's only like, you're only going to go down, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. This upside-down kingdom that he ushered in when he was born its quite fascinating. And I think it requires us to ask ourselves the question, what is the posture of my heart? Am I puffed up or am I bowed down to low places? And I think we struggle with pride a lot in America. And and pride is, is cancerous. Pride is the only disease that you have that makes other people sick. I'm struggling with this. And just last week during worship, I'm not gonna lie, I, uh, I remember, God reminded me, I used to go to a, a Pentecostal church, and my girl Marilyn could back me up here. She's my witness. She went to a Pentecostal church. When you walked into a Pentecostal church, the, I didn't know this, nobody taught me, but it was just something that was observed, and it was the routine that, that when you walked in and they had like folding chairs, they're not even the nice chairs, folding chairs. And you would walk in and you would kneel at your seat or you would kneel at the altar and pray before service, before doing a thing. And I was reminded of that last, last week. And during worship on this cold, polished concrete floor, I bowed down on my seat and I just prayed. And God wrecked me. I was a hot mess, snot, bubbles, everything. And in that moment, I chose the low position. I chose to get low. And in that moment, I felt all the pain. I felt all the sadness, I felt all my anger, but I felt the presence of God. And I believe there's nothing magical about kneeling, but it's something about the posture of your heart that when you go to low places, what what does he do? He exalts those who humble themselves. And in America, we don't do that. We stand up high, we raise our hands up high, but it's very few in modern day churches where we actually bow down. I also went to a, a Catholic school. Remember, they had the nice little kneelers, right? You know, and then remember, like, you tried very quietly to put the kneeler down? And you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> right? And you, you would kneel. And I think, what would it look like in the modern church that if we just chose sometimes the low places in our lives? Chose humility. There's unexpected gifts there. that I'm telling you that you will find Jesus there because guess what? He started there. He started there just to choose humility. You know what the beautiful part about being low in your life? That when you are low, it's incredibly difficult to fall. When you're low, it's incredibly difficult to fall to temptation when you choose humility. Y'all getting this? I remember, oh, I'm gonna go there. In Bible college, I, um, I had a bad habit. Power, in Jesus' name. I had a bad habit. I'll call it what it is, it was sin. I uh, would look at pornography. Now this is back in 1999, 2000. And so we didn't, it, they didn't have like videos, it was just still images online. And the habit was so bad that my, my Bible college had a firewall, so you couldn't get to those websites, but some people figured out a way to bypass that firewall so you could look at these images. And I had this bad habit, and I wouldn't say I was completely addicted, but it was a bad habit. And here's what broke the addiction. It wasn't the church saying, "Yo, check your sexual desires at the door. It wasn't the church saying that, don't you know that you're making God sad when you do that? Um it was this, I, I read an article about how, how horrible the, the, the porn industry is and how these, they would make these women take drugs before and after the acts so that they could deal and cope with the grief that they had to encounter when doing said acts. And then when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness, I do not, I do not want to support an industry that does this to women. So it wasn't somebody smacking my hand. It was me choosing humility that actually healed me from that bad habit. I chose low. I chose, you know what, no, I'm not, I'm not going to make women serve me. I'm going to serve women. And that broke me of that habit. And maybe that, that you need something else for that, but I'm just telling you, for me, I chose low, and it kept me from falling. Falling. It kept me from falling. It made me stable. Because there's unexpected gifts in low places when you choose humility. And this is another thing about the American church that I think, like, we need to identify quickly, and it's that at times our pride robs us of receiving correction and challenge, Right? And there's two tips out of people, maybe you're like me. So when I was young, people used to check me like, who do you think you are? man? I'm my own man. I don't need nobody to tell me what to do. And your neck kind of went like this. I don't know why, but that's what we did. And I rejected correction. Why did I reject correction? Because I was prideful. Don't you dare. Don't you dare challenge my worth and my value. And meanwhile, they weren't challenging my worth and my value. They were challenging me because they saw my potential. So you might be that kind of person or you might be the person that says, "Oh, no, whenever you challenge me, whenever you correct me, it hurts my feelings." And 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 you propel correction that way. Can we all identify that at the end of the day that is pride? What would it look like if you found this unexpected gift of growth in low places? And you took challenge and correction the way you're supposed to take challenge and correction. The Bible says that he is our shepherd Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Okay? The rod was so that the shepherd will sometimes have to break the kneecaps of the sheep when it kept wandering off the beaten path. And the staff was to pull it back and guide it. And it says that we find comfort in those things. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. Come on. I remember my son, he was in a travel lacrosse team, and sometimes I would go watch his practices. And I'm old school, sorry about that, but I love it when coaches yell at kids. Like I love it, like I get such a kick out of it, like I'm smiling from ear to ear. It's like, where does Pastor Mike smile when coaches yell at the, at the, the players? I freaking love it. And I remember it was a really talented kid, really talented, he was a midi on the field, and and he was really talented kid, and the coach kept on yelling at him, t- telling him he's not doing this thing right, not doing this thing right. I'm Puerto Rican, so I don't play lacrosse. I didn't know what he was talking about. But I love the fact that he was yelling at him. And then all of a sudden, and don't, don't report him, he, he told him, yo, come here, come here, because he kept on, like, huffing and puffing every time he was correcting him. He grabbed him by his face mask. And he goes, and he goes, why are you huffing and puffing? And he goes, because every time you correct me, you're basically telling me I'm not good. He goes, no, 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 no. I, I see a champion in you. And champions know how to take correction. Everyone else gets a participation trophy. Which one are you? And I was like, oh, shoot. Yeah, tell him. Tell him. Love that. And he looked at him. He goes, you have amazing potential. Your pride is getting in the way. And I just want to tell you, church, every disciple in this room, you have amazing potential, but sometimes your pride gets in the way. And there's unexpected gifts when you choose low places. Amen? I'll close that point with this. I just heard Louie Giglio say this, and I thought it was brilliant. He said this, humility isn't a character trait. It is the byproduct of being with Jesus. So if you're generally proud, you're not walking with Jesus. If you're generally proud, you're not walking with Jesus. I spent a lot of time on that point, but y'all getting this? Really quickly, number two, the unexpected gifts in starting over. So Bethlehem. Bethlehem in the Old Testament was a pretty dope spot. It was the birthplace of King David. It's the background of the book of Ruth, okay? So Bethlehem had its moment, okay? Bethlehem was the spot. Now all of a sudden towards the end of the Old Testament, we see that it's oh little insignificant Bethlehem. What happened? Everyone forgot about Bethlehem. It had its moment, but now it's in a place of obscurity. So what did Bethlehem have to do? It had to start all over. And I think at times, I've noticed in my life that there are gifts that we find with God in those moments in our lives where in humility, we have to start over. Some of us, you have to start over in the same marriage. Some of us, maybe you have to start over in a new marriage. Maybe some of you, you have to start over in a new church. And at times it's humbling and at times it's difficult and at times you're tempted to go backwards because it feels better going backwards because at least I had a higher level of position in my old place. But now I have to start over. Bethlehem had to start all over. It's no longer noticed as the birthplace of the mighty King David who slayed Goliath. It's no longer the background of the book of Ruth. It is little Bethlehem. And all throughout scripture, God loves, loves, loves taking people from obscurity to opportunity. Those moments where you feel like you're forgotten, his eye is on you. And if you're anything like me, there are times in my life where when he made me start over, it's only because, unfortunately, in my life, people misinterpreted my zeal and my passion as maturity. And what they did is they promoted me. They promoted me way too fast. I was hired right right as a pastor in my junior year of college. I wasn't even finished college, and I was hired as a full-time pastor to pastor people. Why? Because they saw my charisma and they saw my zeal, but telling you what, I was still immature in a lot of ways. So there were moments where God goes, "Hey, I I know I know you're really close to Z, but we're going to go back to A. Because you skipped some steps. And I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with the opportunity of taking the steps that you skipped. Because I'm way more interested in the development of your character than I am your promotion. And there's these gifts when you're starting over. Maybe you're here, and this is like, you know, you've only been here for a couple months, and you feel like you're starting over in a new church. There's gifts in starting over. There's gifts. If you choose humility, there's gifts. You're like, yeah, but I used to do this at my last church, and I used to be this at my last church. There's gifts. There's gifts in the season of starting over. God loves utilizing and pulling people out of obscurity and creating opportunity. There's gifts there. Number three, last one. It's the unexpected gift in waiting. Contextually speaking, when Micah says who's coming from forth is from an old and from the ancient of days, that that just told them that you're going to wait a long time. If you know anything about the history between We have an Old Testament and we have a New Testament. We have 66 books in the Bible. And in the Old Testament, and it's split into two different series. In the Old Testament, it's everything before Jesus. And in the New Testament, it's everything during Jesus and after Jesus. And and what, what book ends the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And then what opens up the New Testament is the book of Matthew. Between Malachi and Matthew, there were 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. So I can imagine as people are reading this prophecy, can you imagine some of y'all can't wait four minutes. They had to wait 400 years to hear something. 400 years waiting for this ruler that was going to give them security and peace. They had to sit there and wait those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And the Bible promises that he shall be their peace. And it suggests that when he does come, you're, you're going to exhale. You're, you're going you're gonna to find that sense of peace when he does come. But can you imagine being the people that read this prophecy and had to wait 400 years? And to think of rulers not only that, like he did not meet your expectations. He was supposed to be a ruler. He's supposed to be a, a king, a messiah, a savior. He couldn't find a room at the hotel and he had to be born in a cave. Not what we expected. But we still had to wait. And I think in our seasons of waiting, as you Process humility as you're waiting to for God to promote you in this starting over season. The waiting period grows you. It grows you, and it matures you, and there's gifts there. And if you could find God in the waiting, here's the deal. We're always waiting. God, I'll find you when I get the promise. No, we find God in the waiting. What are you waiting for today? Maybe you're waiting for God to show up in a mighty way. Maybe you're waiting for that promotion, you're waiting for, I don't know, a spouse. You're waiting for something. Whatever you're waiting, you're waiting not to feel this way anymore. Am I talking to anybody? As you're waiting and you think, That's, I'll meet God when I have the promise. You have God right now because if God is everywhere, then you could find him anywhere. You could find him anywhere. And so there's gifts When you choose the low places, there's gifts. Even in the unexpected times when you feel like you have to start over, there's gifts when you're waiting. There's gifts. And the most important gift is his presence. He is with you in Jesus' name. He is with you in Jesus' name. I just feel like my spirit, like, I want to talk to some of the single people in the room. Because especially when you talk about waiting... Don't buy into the lie that God can only use you once you're married. Single people are just as valuable as married people in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. just feel led to tell you that. All the times, like, Christians are just like, ring by spring or get your money back. No, 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 no. That's nonsense. God wants to use you right now, even whatever you're waiting for. You're just as valuable. You're just as valuable. Sewell people, can I talk to you? We've been waiting a long time. Let's find God in the waiting. Because if we do not give up, we will reap a harvest. If we do not tarry, if we do not give up, let's find God in the waiting. Let's find God in the waiting. I promise you there's gifts there. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you could stand in God's presence. Little Bethlehem. <clears throat> I'm going to call Audible real quick. Um, Pastor Ashley, can you uh, sing the bridge? Um, I suck with song titles. The I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. Yeah. That song. I'm the dude that always messes up titles and makes up my own lyrics. Anybody else out there? Just making up my own lyrics. I want us to pray. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to do one of two things. Um, To choose humility and and. Maybe you need to find someone and pray with someone. And praying, there's nothing magical about praying. Praying is just talking to God. And I want you to share, um, maybe there's some areas in your life that you need to confess that you need to be more humble in. Maybe one of those areas is starting over. And then maybe you need to confess to somebody like, I've been waiting on this for a really long time. And there have been times where I'm tempted to let go, but, but but I'm here and I'm holding on. If you feel comfortable, I'm going to pray. And then I want you to just pray those things to God. But if you can, find someone to pray with. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a family member, mother, father, friend. I think it's something powerful when the people of God engage with God. You don't need a pastor to pray for you all the time. The same Holy Spirit that dwells in every pastor in this room dwells in you. Same exact one. You do not have a junior Holy Spirit. You have the full Holy Spirit living and dwelling in you. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to spend some moments in prayer. And Ashley's going to sing over us. And she's going to sing, I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. So if you can, after you're done praying, I just want you to spend some time just thanking the Lord that he heard and he answered. Wait, 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 Pastor Mike. How do I know he answered? Because he's with you. That's why. Let's praise him in advance for what he's gonna do in your life, amen, amen.